Hey listeners, this is Rebecca Rand with the Audio Files podcast. And this week, we want to share an amazing story from our narrative podcast team. It's an episode of our show, which is called What's It Like? Two of our reporters, Sari Safar Sukunik and Maya Klassen, are diving into a story about divorce, which is pretty ubiquitous for most of us here in the U.S., but in tight-knit Orthodox Jewish communities, the power to grant a divorce rests in the hands of the husband and only the husband. This story follows one woman's pursuit to upend the systems stacked against the Orthodox Jewish women who want out. Also, we want to give listeners a heads up that this episode discusses domestic abuse. So let's turn it over to Sari Safer Sukunik, who starts the story at a meeting in Flatbush, Brooklyn. One more minute while we shut the door. On a humid Tuesday night in late August, hundreds of people file into an old brick synagogue in the Flatbush neighborhood of Brooklyn. Um, <clears throat> wow, I'm really nervous. <laughs> Uh, I would like to thank every single person that came out tonight. Anybody watching on the live stream, we already have 100 people logged in. Every single person... Kayla Haber-Goldstein organized the event. We are standing, I'm standing, you're sitting, in Bethel Jewish Center, the first shul in which my husband was a rabbi six years ago. A community of people who truly love every single Jew. They're meeting to talk about an issue that, as far as Kayla knows, has never been publicly discussed in their Orthodox Jewish community. The issue of women trapped in marriages because their husbands refuse to grant them a divorce. Tonight is about opening the discussion and bringing the issue to light so it can no longer fester. On our schedule tonight, each speaker... The audience is made up of all women. Kayla has hired security guards to stand near the entrance. Outside the gates of the synagogue, three men shout as the women walk in. And any woman that walks in there is crooked. The protesters walk back and forth on the street, chanting. Children come first. One man periodically blows a shofar, a horn typically sounded on Rosh Hashanah. They have signs that say, children come first, and a coerced get is invalid. We, we believe in the get, okay. but we believe A get the is a Jewish divorce, and it's become a lightning rod for controversy in some Jewish communities. Because, unlike a civil divorce, only a man has the power to give a get in traditional Orthodox Judaism. And some husbands refuse. This leaves women unable to move on, date, or remarry without committing adultery in the eyes of their community. These women are known as agunas, which literally means chained in Hebrew. Wow. All these agunas, right. they're all fakers and liars. Every second one. Dozens of them are at the event in Brooklyn that night, looking for answers. In the past few decades, the issue of get refusal has become pervasive. Throughout the night, Kayla tells everyone to try and stay seated. You can hear the men shouting from outside. We do have some protesters outside making a lot of noise, blowing a chauffeur, doing all kinds of weird stuff. Our Weinberger and my father both told me that it's a sign that we're doing the right thing. So it's a good thing that they're here. <laughs> but there's one woman in the audience who doesn't see this as a good thing. Throughout the night, she's been getting increasingly frustrated with the protesters who have been interrupting Kayla's carefully planned discussion. She feels like they've been trying to get her attention, and she's about to do something about it. 
After everyone files out, she bursts out the door to confront two men still standing on the sidewalk. So you guys waited the whole night just for me to come out? There's a video of the confrontation on Instagram. In it, the two men on the sidewalk have turned their backs to the woman who's approaching. She begins shouting at them. And now you remember how you should be. A black permanent marker on a freaking sign. The flag shows support right here. It shows someone who is deranged and jealous. It goes on like this for a few minutes. The Instagram post doesn't reveal the names of the two men, but we do know who the woman is. On social media, she goes by the name Flatbush Girl. A lot of people in the community call her that, too. The superhero reference is no coincidence. Flatbush Girl tends to show up when women need support. She's an EMT, a doula, and she even ran for city council. But most importantly on this night, Flatbush Girl is an activist and an advocate for Agunaz, like Kayla, but a very different kind of activist. The kind who can't help but get into a prolonged shouting match in front of the synagogue with the men who tried to disrupt Kayla's carefully planned meeting. This moment on the street is pretty representative of the Flatbush Girl approach. Sure, she'll sit through a night of composed speeches and support the discussion, but she won't feel satisfied until she's literally face-to-face with those who are standing in her way. Flatbush Girl will do whatever it takes to free an Aguna. For many women, she's a last resort. Because once you bring me in, like, there's no going back. It's a very, very, very lonely journey. But you know what? I feel like... If not me, who's going to do it? From the Graduate School of Journalism at CUNY, this is What's It Like? I'm Sari Safra-Sukenik, and this episode, What's It Like to Try and Change a Religion That's Thousands of Years Old in Order to Preserve It? And I want to send this email as soon as we can. And, you know, tell me, do you want, can I prepare the email for you and you'll look it over and you'll edit it to your style? In October, we went to Flappish Girl's home to meet her. When she answered the door, she was on the phone planning her next battle. I know, but I don't want it to look too, like, legal. or Flappish Girl is just her persona on social media. At home, She's Adina Sash. Let's send it as soon as we can, or maybe not. Maybe try to figure out... For nearly three years, Adina has been using her background in marketing to act as a one-woman PR firm to free Agunas. <laughs> that's, why it takes, that's why it takes a village to free an Aguna. It takes a village. She's worked directly with around 15 women and estimates that there are still hundreds, maybe even thousands of women waiting for a get in her Brooklyn community alone. Okay, you're the best. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Leah was one of those women. Leah's not her real name. She didn't want to be interviewed for this story and asked us not to use her name when talking about her case, so that's what we'll be calling her. Leah approached Adina on Instagram in early 2023. And she said, hey, it's been five years since my husband left me, and I'm waiting for his signature. Can you help me? Adina starts every conversation with an aguna in the same way. 
the first responsible question that one needs to ask, which is what I ask, is do you have a copy of a siruv? A siruv is a court order issued by a rabbi. When a woman first asks for a get, she and her husband are summoned to appear before a Jewish court called Beit Din. There, the couple will negotiate the get with rabbis, similar to negotiating a civil divorce. But what's been happening in recent decades is that men are refusing to show up to Beit Din. This can be a way to extort their wife for money, custody of their children, or just as a means of control. Advocates point out that it's a form of domestic abuse. If a man refuses to show up to Beit Din at least three times, a rabbi can then issue the siruv, which is a document calling on the community to excommunicate the get withholder. You're not allowed to talk to this person. You are not allowed to pray next to this person. You are not allowed to feed him. You really basically have to cut them off from the source of support supply that a community usually gives. The problem Medina has found is that not everyone is aware when a siruv is issued, or if they are, they don't follow the rules, especially men who have most of the status and power in the community. So she steps in as a kind of siruv enforcer. Personally, as a feminist, I don't need a siruv to excommunicate anyone. (laughs) I don't need permission from a rabbinical court to do it. But out of respect for the rules of her community, she always asks. Leah said that she did have a siruv, which Adina shared with us. So Adina jumped in with the next set of questions. I try to act like a private investigator. I tell her, okay, take me through the whole run through. Where does he shop for groceries? Where does he pray? Who employs him? Where does he live? Does he have a Jewish landlord? She's looking for pressure points. So he'll come to the negotiating table. In this case, Adina honed in on the man's landlord. She headed to Instagram, where she called on Flatbush Girl's tens of thousands of followers for help. So I go on my story and I try to crowdsource and I say, hey, does anyone know this and this last name from Staten Island? So all of a sudden I'll get a bunch of responses. Sure, they're my neighbor because we're a village. We are literally a modern day village. So they'll say, yes, I know the wife. I know the husband. I know the kids. In this situation, I realized that The landlord's daughter is a follower of mine. So she messaged the woman and said, Hey, your parents are the landlords for a guy who isn't giving a get in five and a half years. You need to warn your parents that I'm coming for them. And we're going to get the whole community rallied and mobilized. The landlord didn't respond. So Adina did just that. She posted the family's information on her stories and asked her mostly women followers to blast them with calls. You know how hard it is for a woman who's trained her whole life to be non-confrontational to pick up a phone and call a landlord because Flappish Girl told them to call that number? You know many women say they're shaking when they pick up the phone. But Adina understands and encourages them. She reminds them that it's actually a mitzvah, a good deed to enact a siruv even when they hit dead ends. When the landlord wouldn't budge, she asked her followers to help her get in touch with the husband's employer, his rabbi, his friends from synagogue. And through all of that pressure, we brought him to the table. And this is a little bit going off the grid of what a siruv means. A siruv doesn't really mean you can do what I do. Like, you're really supposed to only exert pressure onto 
just the get withholder. To go one degree removed is a little bit taking creative liberty, but too bad. Adina trusts that what she's doing is fundamentally Jewish and that Judaism allows for some creativity. She first understood this just before her own wedding. Adina's been married for 18 years. When she was a teenager, she took a class for soon-to-be Jewish brides in the community. They were learning about the rules of marriage, more specifically, about the rules of sex. My college teacher, who I had tremendous respect for, I was, I was just freshly 18 years old at the time and was really relying on her for, you know, her wisdom, had told me that there were certain limitations in which pleasure can be provided to the female. Like there were just certain things that were not allowed. And I remember feeling very confused by that. Like, what does that mean? Like there are limits like the rabbis are in the bedroom with me. They're watching what I'm doing. Like whose who's rule book is this? That question didn't go over well with Adina's Kala teacher. So she went straight to a rabbi and then another and another. And I had to go shopping around talking to different rabbis to say, this is what my Kala teacher told me. Are there other ways to find permission for me to explore other aspects of my sexuality with my husband that I can go off the grid from what she told me on paper. And it took a little bit of creativity. And I I, I did find proper rabbis who did guide me and gave me certain permissions and things like that. A rabbi is a Jewish leader, a scholar trained in the study of Torah. And because the Torah is nearly 2,500 years old, Part of learning it is learning how to understand it in modern contexts. Think of it in the same way that lawyers and judges are tasked with interpreting the Constitution. There's always room for different understandings based on personal beliefs or politics. That's what Adina realized as she went shopping for a rabbi to help her understand her sexuality as a newly married woman. And it was really in that moment that I realized that a lot of the body of protocol that governs over a woman's agency, whether it's her marital agency, her sexual pleasure, her sexual identity, her any aspect of her reproductive system. It's really just a matter of finding the right rabbinical thinkers to align with that female and empower her and help her find the scriptural precedent for whatever she's seeking, meaning that the body of halacha is movable. Halacha is Jewish law, and in many Orthodox communities, like the one Adina's a part of, it's not usually seen as movable. The belief that it is, is part of what sets Adina apart. But even as she often tries to bend the rules, she's not looking to break them entirely. She's a religious woman and lives by the laws of the Torah. She dresses modestly and covers her hair like the majority of women in her Orthodox community. But once she realized that things didn't have to be as black and white as they were presented, she wanted to share that with more women. That was something she was thinking about when she was asked to make a video for a Jewish marriage website in 2016. I don't know how it, how it just hit me, but I figured I would jump into my friend's pool, fully clothed in six inch heels, with a beautiful wig and a full dress, uh, you know, covering my knees, covering my elbows, covering my neckline, all the modesty rules and regulations. So I 
stood on the diving board and did a video where I just addressed this imaginary group of Jewish women who were my students. And I said, ladies, ladies. Ladies, ladies, ladies. You cannot come to the pool in a nerdy shvimkleit and a tichel. You have to look your best all the time. You're a boss melech. Take advice from me. And I jumped into the pool fully clothed and one shoe fell off and floated to the top and my wig fell off and surfaced. And it was just this really incredible, like we just had, we just had this incredible synergy that happened. And it was my first exposure to what it means to make a viral video. It's not for the faint of heart. Especially if you're a Jewish woman doing something that you really shouldn't be doing, which is basically having subtext, which is all about the regulation around your body. And I encountered the most incredible amounts of hate and slut shaming that really, really broke my hymen. It broke my social media hymen. And in that moment, Flatbush Girl was born. What can I say? I just kept going. Almost immediately, Adina started posting on Instagram under her new name. Videos about her experience as a Jewish woman. They ranged from poking fun at some of the double standards to calling out sexism straight up. The videos are often silly. She'll put on a voice or use a funny filter, but they still land with a biting edge that makes you think about the rules stacked against women. The firstborn son is rewarded with a double inheritance portion. But what about firstborn females like me? Wearing a nose ring is considered super bummy, right? But... Eliezer gave Rivka a nose ring, right? The checklist is a proper Jewish lady's most valuable resource since it is easy to become overwhelmed by never-ending tasks. Checklists for the wedding day, becoming a mother. I always double down. That was my rule for myself. I will always double down and never apologize. And here I am eight years later in one of the most treacherous turfs where women's modesty is like a baby game compared to women's Um, entrapment to a marriage that they no longer want to be part of. Adina was a few years into her growing social media presence when she first got a message from an aguna. In early 2021, a woman named Chava was desperate to get her story out, how her husband had refused to sign a get for 10 years, and now she was hoping to get some help from the community. Adina didn't know any agunas at the time. She said she didn't even fully understand the term. My ignorance manifested with ideas like, there's two sides to every story. What do you mean he's not giving a get? Like, what is a get? I didn't understand any of the processes. Frankly, she also didn't think it'd be good for her brand. It's like sticky. It's political. It's it's charged. There's family dynamics. So Adina ignored Chava's message. But she couldn't ignore her story. Soon, it was everywhere. Because Chava had reached out to another Jewish influencer who agreed to share her message. The hashtag Free Chava became impossible to miss in the online Orthodox community. Chava was the first Aguna that I ever had a face 
to give me a frame of reference to what an aguna was. And she was probably the first face for a frame of reference for tens of thousands of Jewish women. As the hashtag spread on her Instagram feed, Adina felt a little embarrassed. I'll be completely honest. My ego was very much involved. I felt like this wasn't my idea. And it took me, it took me a few days to really swallow the bitter pill and say to myself, like, I, I have to get involved. Like, I couldn't ignore it. But she didn't want to just dive in without knowing what she was getting into. She'd learned that lesson before. So she started educating herself, which, in her case, meant reaching out to the body of halacha to see what she could find. And one thing stood out. In our Torah, there are minority groups that we acknowledge as a community are important for us to step up to the plate to help like orphans, widows, the poor. And one of those minorities is also the aguna. But the complexities around what is an aguna and how is the dilemma solved is so layered and also exists in this very protected vacuum of information that's guarded by the patriarchy that it's very hard to have feminine, female wisdom and input to balance out the approaches that happen in the patriarchal courtrooms. Adina felt completely walled off from this world. She'd never learned about gets, and there was so much shame and secrecy around Agunas that no one ever talked about them. The more she learned, the more she realized that these women are exactly who she'd been advocating for all along. And I jumped on the bandwagon as a follower. But of course, Adina isn't a follower by nature. She's the one people follow on Instagram and in the community. So she started speaking out against get refusers, slowly at first, then in her signature Flatbush Girl way. She tracked these men down, over the phone and in person. Then she did the same for anyone that was supporting them. She posted videos of these confrontations on social media, calling their parents, protesting outside court, and staging counter-protests against disbelievers. The Yoli needs to sign the get. We need to why? Why Yoli needs to sign the get? Because Tani doesn't want to be married to him, and that's okay. enough of It's very messy. Not everyone is willing to get dirty in the process of freeing a woman, and I am. This fearlessness came in handy when Adina got the call to take on a case that was already messy. Before she even got involved. In the summer of 2023, Adina got a message from Violet Moses. Violet told Adina she'd been trying to get a get for three years— she said she'd been passed from rabbi to rabbi, ten at least, and each of them said they couldn't help her. Meanwhile, Violet's ex told a court that she wasn't letting him see their kids. She filed for an order of protection against him. The filing said he had sent her harassing text messages. Now, she felt like these charges were being used against her. Violet told Adina that a rabbi had contacted her and said her get was ready to be processed— but she said the rabbi also asked her to relieve her husband of some of his legal troubles. 
Violet asked Adina for her advice. She said she was legitimately scared for her safety. Adina agreed and hatched a plan. She told Violet to get ready. Tomorrow, they were going to show up to the bait dean in Queens, unannounced, and pick up her get. They walked into what looked like a small synagogue. It was dark and the lights were off. They found the rabbi downstairs in his office. We reached out to him, but he declined to speak to us. This is Violet Moshe. Oh, Mr. Moshe, let's sit down. Let's turn on the air conditioner. Please. The rabbi told them he didn't have Violet's get. Another rabbi did. We don't have the bedding here now. You said it was processed and ready for pickup. With an appointment. Why do you have to have an Adina was very familiar with rabbis dragging their feet, even standing in the way of an Agunah's freedom. But seeing Violet pass between so many rabbis set her over the edge. She came ready to fight, secretly recording the confrontation on her phone. You're being very disrespectful. No, I'm not being disrespectful. No, I'm not. I've not said anything disrespectful. You're using that as a cop-out language. We don't need an appointment to pick up again. The rabbis repeated to Violet and to Adina that this could all be settled if she just helped her ex-husband in court. There's a a condition for the gap? There's no condition. Adina took Violet aside for a pep talk. You got here through force, and you're not going to get to the finish line without force. That's why we're here. Violet didn't receive her get that day, but she was able to convince another rabbi to give it to her a few days later. Violet said she met him at his house, and they went through the regular procedures of a Jewish divorce. Though it seemed like a success in the end, the whole back and forth with the rabbis left Adina completely disheartened. She has seen so many cases where she feels rabbis enable husbands to control and extort their wives for freedom. When it's their turn and they're up to bat and they have to go put themselves on the line to help and facilitate that final closing, they shirk responsibility, pass the buck. But even if Adina wants to take control and push these cases forward, as a woman, there are limits to what she can actually accomplish. I can't be part of court. I'm not allowed to engage in that process. I I can only engage as a thug helping. And I'm just really astounded at the gridlock that continues to shackle these women where even when you have a self-appointed advocate and a self-appointed social justice warrior who does all the heavy lifting when it's time for the next part of the process to happen and it's back in the patriarchal domain, you're not always dealing with honest brokers and it's very, very corrupt and scary. Kayla Haber-Goldstein has also felt let down by rabbis when it comes to the Agunah crisis. She's an orthodox social media influencer too, but instead of calling out rabbis and pushing them away like Adina might do, Kayla invites them into the solution. I was really like struggling because I come from a family of rabbis. I love my father. I love I, I love rabbis. That's what led her to organize that meeting in Brooklyn to open the conversation about Agunaz. She invited more than a hundred rabbis to the event. Only five agreed to show up, but she said the ones who did were deeply affected. Like they saw how many people were looking at them and were suffering, and they were just like, "I have to do something." 
Kayla and one of them have now joined together and convened a task force of rabbis who can use their knowledge and status to get cases moving. In February 2024, Kayla's bringing together rabbis from around the country to learn how to support these women. And I know that people on Instagram get really mad at me because they're like, what's going on? What's going on? Like, why are you like, you know, still working within the system? And like, just because we're trying to change the system doesn't mean that the women who are waiting right now to get a get shouldn't be helped right now. Kayla recognizes that what Adina does, bucking the system in her big and public ways, is important, even if it does offend some people. Adina's methods are part of a long-term campaign to empower women to demand changes in the community and to upend the systems that ignore them. In the meantime, advocates like Kayla and others are trying to work with where the community is at now. They're educating young people about marriage laws in school and on social media. They're also introducing them to one of the most important solutions for preventing get refusal, the halachic prenup. The halachic prenup is a document that a bride and groom can sign before their wedding. It basically says that if either one of them wants to end the marriage, they'll show up to Beit Dean and sign a get. For every day that doesn't happen, there's a financial penalty. In May 2023, my husband and I were married by a wonderful Orthodox rabbi. Even though we live a secular lifestyle, our rabbi insisted for the greater good of the Jewish community that we sign a halachic prenup in front of our friends and family. He explained that the Aguna crisis has gotten so bad in Orthodox circles that this was an act of solidarity with Jewish women in that community. In modern Orthodox communities, like the one my rabbi is a part of, these prenups are widely used and have been hugely successful in preventing get withholders. A group called the Organization for the Resolution of Agunot keeps a digital registry of all the prenups signed. They say that divorces that would have taken years have been resolved in weeks or months thanks to the couple signing a prenup. Together, these methods— the halachic prenup, Kayla's rabbi summit, Adina's social media campaigns. They attack the issue from all sides, putting so much pressure on the system that something's got to give. Or at least that's the thought. Here's Kayla again. Like, it kind of creates, like, this, like, energy. Like, you're pushing from here and you're pushing from here and then you're pushing from here and then you're pushing from here. In many ways, it's been working. Since the hashtag Free Chava campaign, awareness about the Aguna crisis has grown a ton. Thanks to Kayla, even some rabbis are starting to address the issue. Adina still wants more. She sees this issue as something that's bigger than a discussion around divorce. She sees it as a more deeply rooted form of gender violence. The implication of being of enabling an Aguna's chains is that a woman is waiting in limbo not having any sexual pleasure with another partner. And that's fine for people to wait by while that happens because what's the big deal? A woman doesn't have erotic needs. A woman doesn't have a libido. If she does have a libido, it's only within the frame of reference of how she can please another male. So I feel like this is a minority group that will continuously get sidelined and put on the back burner because the subtext is always going to be sexual satisfaction. Although they say it much differently than her, the other advocates we spoke to agree that get refusal is a manifestation of misogyny and abuse that uses the customs and languages of their Orthodox Jewish community. 
But Adina's loud and provocative way of talking about it is what she brings to the fight. Kayla thinks the movement wouldn't be where it is without her. Adina is a very brave person. Um, I'm not as brave as her. She knows it. And we have kind of this agreement that like, you know, she she always tells me, she's like, listen, I'm here for you. Like, whatever you need me to post in my name, like, I can take the I can take the brunt, I can take the fall. The rabbis are afraid of her, and that's good. Like, we need that pressure on the rabbis. I have a lot of respect for her. Adina's approach is all-consuming. You can see it by just looking at Flappish Girl's Instagram. Some days, she's posting stories and videos all day long and late into the night putting herself out there and getting brutal backlash in the form of nasty messages and physical threats, which she also shares. Mine is a scorched earth mentality. It's we're getting this get or we're all dying on the battlefield. And we don't, I don't care who I need to take down in the way of getting, I don't care if I need to take chip away at my own health to do it. I don't care if I'm shaving off my own mental health and sanity and my own physical health. Do you ever wish you didn't make that first post in the pool? I really, really never have looked back since that first plunge in the pool. It's so interesting how a plunge in the pool could be so symbolic for what it really was. Like I wasn't wearing proper equipment. I wasn't wearing proper gear. You know, I just jumped into the pool and said, I'm just doing it. It sounds so crazy, but like, and it's so weird to say, but like, I really am a devout Jew. I really do believe in my faith. And I really feel like one of the most beautiful paradigms that we're given insight into as, as young students, and this message is taught to Jews when we're in school, whether we're girls or boys, what was the agreement that the Jewish people took when they accepted the Torah? And they said two words. They said, Nasa Venishma. They said, I will do, and then I will listen. And it's a symbol of blind faith. If it means defending my fellow Jewish female, and if it means defending the body of scripture that is currently being hijacked, by questionable players and non-honest brokers and patriarchal misogyny, then Nasavanishma, like I am here, I will jump into the pool all over again if I have no way of figuring out how to stay treading. I mean, it's, it's a calling. It's because of her faith, and not in spite of it, that she's waging these spiritual crusades, as she calls them. What can I say? That's what it is. A few weeks after working on Leah's case, Adina sat in her car and made a video saying that she was exhausted. She felt like she was running on fumes and wasn't sure if she could continue doing this work. I've given it a majority of my day, probably six out of seven days a week. And I'm telling you that the stamina required to stay in the trenches of the Aguna crisis it's not just for the not faint of heart. It, it's, it's not for even the most strong-willed people. She pressed send and watched as the messages rolled in. Her social media community, her modern-day village of mostly young women, rallied around her, asking things like, What do you need? Tell me what you need. How can I help? What can I do? She says the support refueled her. Then, just a few minutes after posting, Adina got a new message. Just at that exact moment, <laughs> almost feel like it's a sign. It was another Aguna reaching out for help, 
and she got started on her next case. Everybody pay attention to the next slide. We have a new get withholder and we are crowdsourcing for whatever information we can to help the Aguna. This episode was reported and produced by myself, Sari Soffer-Sukenik, and Maya Klassen. Our editor is Meg Kramer. Chad Bernhard is our studio manager and editing guru. Special thanks to Keshet Starr, the CEO of the Organization for the Resolution of Agu Note, for providing us with such helpful context for our reporting. And to Curtis Fox, Rebecca Rand, and Carolyn Handel for your helpful feedback. To all the Agunas we spoke to, thank you for sharing your stories and giving voice to this issue. Today's intro and outro music comes from the song Hills by Mellow C. This episode also features portions of the songs Post Drone by UU Writer, Drone Pine by Blue Dot Sessions, Parody by Crowender, Camp by Poddington Bear, and Principles in Action by David Hillowitz, all sourced from freemusicarchive.org. This episode also includes Victory Fanfare by Lewis Humanoid, sourced from freesound.org. Thank you to all of these talented musicians who have allowed their works to be used under the Attribution Non-Commercial Creative Commons license. For a full transcript of this episode, you can visit podcast.nycitynewsservice.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks so much to Halizna for the use of his song Bus Stop in our intro. This was a production of the New York City News Service at the Craig Newmark Graduate School of Journalism at CUNY. from New York City News Service.